Uh, praise the Lord, his mercy is more. That should have got an amen. That would have got an amen, that would have got an amen from a saved audience. Um, so so we'll, we'll do a little better next time. But praise God, our sins are many. His mercy is so much more. If you, have, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to open with me to the Gospel of John chapter 6. The Gospel of John chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And welcome to week 8 of our Miracles series where we are walking through the miracles of Jesus. And as we've said from the beginning, a miracle is what happens when the unexplainable runs into the undeniable. So when the unexplainable runs into the undeniable, we are left with a miracle. And let's just be clear this morning from the very beginning Nothing, and let me say that again, nothing is impossible with God. That's not just a nice statement. It's one of the core truths of our faith. Nothing is impossible with Him. Our God is not limited to the physical barriers that often limit us. He isn't trapped by our obstacles. He isn't afraid of our sicknesses. He's not confused by our problems. He isn't overwhelmed by our needs. It's just not him. He is over those things. He is the God of the impossibility. Just think about this. Jesus came to the world to show us that the heart of the Father is ultimately, first of all, to forgive sins. That's the ultimate need, to forgive sins, but also the physical needs to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to cast out demons, to meet the physical needs of people. And every single one of these miracles has a profound purpose and that they are meant to show us the identity of Christ and they're meant to leave us in awe of him. I love the words of Pastor John Piper who says this. He asks a question, what is a sign or what is a miracle? And he answers in this way, a sign is glory coming into the world and shining down from that glory is a beam. A beam of glory shining from Christ, the glorious, eternal, divine Son of God. A beam shining down, and it lands. And when it lands, it produces out of five loaves a few fish, enough, enough food to feed the masses. So it produces from five loaves and a few fish enough to feed the masses. And the sign is meant to do this. Your eyes behold the landing of the beam, and your eyes should run up the beam to the glory. So the, we're not just supposed to be left in awe of a feeding. We're supposed to look at the feeding, trace the, the rays of glory up to the Son of God, and give Him praise and be left in awe of Him. Here's my ongoing advice for this series. Don't just seek miracles. Don't just seek miracles. Seek Jesus. And if you seek Jesus, the miracle, the miraculous one, if you seek Him, you will find yourself in the middle of the miraculous. If you seek Him, don't just seek miracles, seek Him. And if you seek Him, you'll find yourself in the middle of the miraculous. And let me just add this. Don't let your personal experiences determine what you believe. Don't let what you think is impossible, and please don't let what other people tell you is impossible, keep you from following and trusting the one who makes the impossible possible. That is the God that we serve. Let me just tell you a story. In 1939, so when, when Brother Curtis was in high school, there was a, I'm sorry, uh, a, a, man, a man there, I, they think it's funny, I, I, <laughs> nice socks, 
1939, a man named George Danzig enrolled in a graduate program um, in statistics at the University of California, Berkeley. At the beginning of one of the class um, sessions, his professor wrote on the chalkboard two unsolvable problems of statistics. Now, Danzig happened to be um, late for the class, so missing the disclaimer that these were two unsolvable problems, he thought it was homework. So he wrote the problems in um, his notebook, he went home, and he went to work. It took a little bit longer than he anticipated to finish um, these problems, but he ended up solving these unsolvable problems. A few weeks later, the professor actually came and knocked on his door. He thought, Danzig thought he was in trouble because the assignment was late, so he answered the door tentatively. And of course, the professor joyfully informed him that he had solved two of statistics' unsolvable problems. Danzig would finish his doctorate in 1946. About 30 years later, he won the National Medal of Science. And some of the algorithms um, that he coined still influence, even today, the way um, that airplanes schedule their fleets, the way that shipping companies um, deploy their trucks, the way that financial companies um, do their revenue pro projections, or the way that old refineries do whatever it is that they do. So his legacy is, is felt far and wide. But I would suggest that the, the genesis, the beginning of his genius, can be traced back to that one moment in a statistics class. In fact, um, Danzig put it this way many years later. He said, if someone had told me that those, um, two, that those were two famous unsolved problems, I probably wouldn't have ever tried to solve them. Listen to that. If somebody would have just told me they were impossible, I would have never tried to solve them. Brothers and sisters, don't let what you think is impossible or what someone else tells you is impossible keep you from trusting the one who makes the impossible possible. This is the God that we serve. So let me remind you this morning that all miracles begin with a problem. I dare you to find a place in scripture, find a miracle that did not begin with a problem or with an impossibility. If we could just see that, we would learn to accept our, our problems with a little more thankfulness instead of dread. Problems are situations engineered by God to bring us face to face with our deficiencies so that we might come to trust him, to run to him, the one who is altogether sufficient. We trust him to do what only he can do to take the circumstances and work it together for our good and for his glory. And think about this, the miracles of Jesus are always pointing to something beyond themselves. So the, the, the point of the miracles were not just the miracles, the miracles were not an end of themselves. They were always pointing to something or they were always pointing to someone. And the one they were pointing to was the one who had all authority in heaven and on earth. And the beautiful thing is, and kind of an interesting thing, there are only two miracles that appear in all four Gospels. So there are only two miracles that appear in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The last of those two miracles is the resurrection of Jesus that we looked at on Easter Sunday. The first is the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus feeding the 5,000, a familiar story to us. In fact, if you were raised in church, um, you've known that story as long as you've known anything. <laughs> as long as you've known anything, you've known that story. Yet this is a story, hear this, it's not a story of just one miracle. It's a story of a th thousands of miracles. The miracle that we're about to read is the most extensive miracle uh, and just massive in sheer number. 5,000 men plus women and children. 
Scholars say between 15,000 and 25,000 people were fed on this day. And these people weren't just watching Jesus perform a miracle. They were caught up in the miracle. They were experiencing the miracle. They were enjoying the miracle. They were enjoying the, the food that came. And this is a good reminder for us this morning that we're not just here looking at the miracles of Jesus. That's not the, just the point. Here's the point. Brothers and sisters, if you are a child of God in this room, you are a miracle of God. If you're a child of God in this room, you are a miracle. And what we know is God has poured his salvation upon us and still we are recipients even now of his power. We are still receiving grace upon grace. His provision is still sustaining us. His mercy still meets us every morning. His faithfulness still comes to us even though we are unfaithful. He is still working all things together for our good. We're not just witnessing miracles, brothers and sisters. We are caught up in the miracle. We are the miracle. God has done a miracle in your life if you are his child and he continues to do that work. Now we know that miracles are, are stunning, they're mind-blowing, but miracles are not just meant to, to blow our minds. They're also promises that are meant to comfort our hearts, to understand who he is. So I'm going us to turn together to the word of God, Gospel of John, chapter 6. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. And I pray that you will either see it right in front of you or you will see the verses on the screen. And it's important for we want you to see this with your own eyes to know that we're not making this up. So in John chapter six, beginning at verse one, it says this. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. Hear this because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up. On the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered him. Listen to this. Philip doesn't even answer the question. Jesus asked where. Philip answers the question, How? So Philip says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, so as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, the God who does the miraculous, the God who performs the miracle of provision. Today, God, we pray that we would just see everything it is that you would have us to see. Speak to us by your word. Speak to us through your spirit. Speak to us through the acts and the work of your son. 
Jesus, speak to us. Show us what we need to see. Show us how we should respond. God, encourage our hearts today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So according to this passage, this crowd, a very large crowd, was following Jesus because of the miracles that he was doing. They wanted to see um, with their own eyes just this miracle worker. And even though they didn't know it, they were ultimately following Jesus because their hearts were empty. They were physically hungry. They were about to be physically hungry. But more than that, they were spiritually starving to death. And that's why they were following Jesus, whether they knew it or not. Which that's a good place for us to start this morning. Have you ever felt a spiritual hunger for this God? Even a better question, have you ever acknowledged your sin before a holy God? That He is holy without sin. We are filled with sin to the core of us. Have you ever trusted God to do the impossible for you? Namely, to save you from your sins. You ever trusted God to do that? If you have not, I have good news for you. Today can be that day. Today can be that day where you call upon the name of the Lord. You turn from your sin, from trusting in yourself, and you turn to Jesus Christ. Trust Him as Savior. Lord, today can be the day of salvation for you. Oh, I pray that that would be the case. And just think about this story. According to this story, we never know what God will ask of us and we never know when he will ask it. But we do know why he will ask it. He'll ask it so that our eyes will see him and our eyes will savor him. And I pray that that will be the case today. But think about this. No one in that crowd, not even Jesus' closest followers, were expecting Jesus to do what he did. No one, nobody was expecting that. Philip would have to stand back and go, didn't see that coming. You know, Andrew didn't think that was going to, didn't think that was going to happen. Nobody expected that to happen. And no one would have ever thought that boy, that little boy mattered. Think about this. No one knew that after this moment, every person who trusts in Jesus and studies his word would know this little boy. And not only would we know this little boy, we would know what was in his lunchbox that day. And we wouldn't know that, but here's our problem. We think in our little American minds, we think five loaves of bread and two fish. So we're thinking five big loaves of bread and two monster fish. And that's not the thought there. So don't, don't think that. Here's what you think. Think Lunchable. So think a little Lunchable. And that's what this boy had. Little barley loaves and little small fish. And that's what he was bringing to the table. He wasn't bringing his loaves of bread. He was bringing his lunchbox with his little lunchable in it. And that's what was presented to Jesus. But everyone would know that that's what happened. And Jesus used this little boy and his little lunchable to make the point of all points concerning his identity. And here's what I love in a way. Whenever I think about this passage, I always find myself thinking about myself. And here's what I always wonder. What if this little boy would have been like I would probably be at that age and would have been selfish and said no? What if that little boy would have looked at Andrew and said, stranger danger, and ran and got behind a tree and just devoured the lunch and said, uh-uh, nobody's touching my lunch. I mean, what if that would have been the case? What if that would have happened? How would this story have been different? And here's what I know. Let me just lay this before us again. We've said this from the beginning of our series. Sometimes we must be willing to do the natural before God will do the supernatural. 
We must be willing to do the natural before God will do the supernatural. Now, what I'm not saying is we can't earn a miracle any more than we can earn our salvation. We don't manipulate God in any way, but we have to use our effort to come to God and we use our effort to obey God. And what we see here is an amazing story. Jesus did the impossible through an unremarkable kid in the middle of a huge crowd. This is what he did. And, and before we jump in, I, I want to just lay two questions before us this morning. I pray that these two questions will hover over our time together today. Two questions for every single person in this room. Question number one, do you or are you currently trusting Jesus to provide for you? Are you trusting Jesus to provide for you? And then secondly, do you believe that Jesus could ever use you? Do you believe that he could ever use you? So what I want to do in the time that we have remaining is I want us to unpack three truths that leap off the pages of John 6. And to be honest with you, there are probably... 15 truths that leap off the page. So I had to narrow them down just to three, and I'm still not happy with what I came up with because there's just so much there. But I pray that God would use the, the three that I narrowed it down to just to speak to all of our lives today. So the first truth I want to lay before us is this. Grace is the grounds of his compassion. Grace is the grounds of his compassion. So God is compassionate toward us, not because we deserve his compassion, but because he is compassionate, because he is gracious. Think about this. Jesus is about to display here the compassion of his grace. He's about to display in his grace how he responds to our needs, even physical needs. So we read in verses 3 and verse 5 of John 6 that Jesus is on the mountain. He's with his disciples. He lifts his eyes. He sees the large crowd and he looks at Philip and says, where are we going to buy enough food so that everybody's going to eat? And here's what I love. Jesus doesn't send this crowd away. Because when Jesus looks at the crowd, he doesn't see an obstacle. He doesn't see an interruption. He, he sees an opportunity for grace. Jesus sees sheep that are without a shepherd. And the reason he sees that is because he is the compassionate shepherd. The disciples didn't see 5,000 plus um, uh, men, women, and children. They saw thousands and thousands of problems that they couldn't solve. So when they looked at these people, they didn't see souls they saw problems and they saw problems that they themselves could not solve yet jesus being the compassionate savior did not push these people away instead he presses in he presses in and here's the here's a sad reality for us it's often been said that we can know our own hearts by setting our hearts next to the heart of jesus we can know our own hearts by setting our hearts next to the very heart of jesus we push people away, Jesus welcomes them. We give up, Jesus keeps pursuing. We withhold, Jesus gives. That is his heart. He sees the crowd coming. He is moved with compassion. The multitude, they're not even hungry yet. And Jesus has already determined in his mind and heart what he's going to do to meet their needs. And the disciples... Instead of that heart, they see an opportunity to rid themselves of the crowd. In fact, the other gospel stories say they tell Jesus, send them away. Send them away. Get rid of them. So what, here's, think about this conversation. Think about the disciples coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, we love you, and we have a wonderful plan for your life. 
And that, that plan, Jesus, you have taught your heart out today. You have done the best at being the Messiah you could possibly do. Um, it's late. All these people are hungry. The food trucks have broken down. Domino's said they won't deliver. Now, Chick-fil-A would do it, but it's Sunday, so we're out of gas. So, Jesus, send them away. I mean, that, that's the conversation, kind of. The conversa in my mind, that's the conversation um, that's happening in this moment. Yet, Jesus does something different. He looks at them and says, feed them. Give them something to eat. Other gospels say that Jesus put it on them. What are you going to give to them? Can you imagine being disciples going, he's setting us up for failure? I mean, can you imagine being a disciple going, he's trying to get rid of all of us. I mean, he's telling us something that we can't do just so he can run us off. And again and again and again throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus would call them to do things that in themselves they could not do so that they would learn what it means to trust in him. He does the same for us. But just think about who he is. Jesus is, his default setting, think about default setting. Jesus is, his default setting is compassion because he is compassionate. Our default setting is indifference because we're sinners. So his default setting, compassion. Ours, indifference. And this story, what it does, it shows us four ways that we often deal with problems that we view to be impossible think about four ways that we deal with the impossible first of all we try to get rid of it we try to get rid of it we read this the disciples and especially in the gospel of matthew 14 they wanted to send the people away let's get rid of the problem let's get rid of it and that's our prayers brothers and sisters when the in the midst of our problems here's what we do instead of praying god this problem came into my life from your hand. Therefore, keep it here as long as it takes for me to learn and understand what it is that you would have me to understand. Instead of praying that, our first prayer is, God, get rid of it. Take it away, God. And God's like, I could have taken it away. I didn't have to give it to you, but I did so that you would trust in me. So what we're doing in our selfish prayers, we're trying to rob our own selves of an opportunity of knowing God more. Man, that's pretty bad isn't it that's us the second thing we do is we trust in money that's the first thing philip began to do he got out his calculator and said 200 you know denarii was a day's worth of, of wages so 200 days worth of wages is not enough to give people even a little and sometimes if we're not careful we that's what we do we trust in money or we think about money money becomes an obstacle and I, I'm, not doing, I'm not saying this, what I'm about to say is, is not a negative about Robert at all. But when me and Robert sit down and talk about things, and I'll, I'll give him ideas, and I, I see the wheels turning in his mind, and he, I know what he's thinking. He's like, how much is this going to cost? You know, I'm like, Robert, sit down. We've got to have a conversation. Let's talk about this. And in his mind, it's how much is it? You know, what's this going to cost? What, what's, what's your great idea going to cost us, Micah, in, in, in that moment? But if we're not careful, we, number one, can let that become a hindrance to what God is calling us to do, or even worse, we can trust in money over trusting in the Lord. So there, there, there's that. Then Andrew, what did he do? He goes and looks for people. So sometimes in the midst of our impossibilities, what we do, we seek out, hear this, we seek out every single person who will listen to us, and then when nobody has told us what we wanted to hear, 
Or maybe they all have and we did it and it blew up. Then we'll turn to God. Instead of going to him first. And trusting him first. So the ultimate thing that we see in this situation, the fourth way that we deal with problems is we realize that we can't. Jesus shows up and does what only he can and he pr proves himself to be the only provision. <laughs> oh, that God would do that more in our lives. But praise him. May we praise him today for his compassion and his grace towards us even now. So we see that grace is his grounds of compassion. But second truth is this. Um, second truth is power is released for our provision. So not only is grace the grounds of his compassion and his power is released for your provision and for my provision. What's fascinating in this story is how Jesus uses his power and authority. Especially when it, you think about how we use our power and our authority. Normally when we as sinful humans get power and authority, we use it to exalt ourselves and we become a threat to others. Right? Okay, Three of you are agreeing with me. The rest of you either have never had power and authority or you're in the midst of it right now and you want everybody crushed and you refuse to admit it. Um, but that's how we do. That's what we do. We, we exalt ourselves and everyone else is a threat to that. But think about Jesus. If he were only holy, powerful, and sovereign, yet he wasn't compassionate, we'd be damned. All of us. No one would ever run to him. No one would ever hope in him. But his compassion means that sovereignty is exercised for our good. His compassion means that power is released for our provision. Here's an amazing equation for you to write down. I love this equation. Divine compassion plus divine power equals everything we need. Divine compassion plus divine power equals everything. Thing we need. This is his goodness. We read in verses 11 through 13, Jesus took the loaves. He gave thanks to God. And then he distributed to those as much as they wanted until they were filled. And then Jesus said, gather the leftover fragments. So Jesus is articulating here a, an impossible situation. There were no resources um, no human plan would, would work. And what the disciples are doing is they are witnessing a glorious metaphor of the gospel. What they see is they see a compassionate Savior who will exercise his power to make abundant provision for his people. A compassionate Savior who will exercise his power to make abundant provision for his people. He will meet our needs. His grace is sufficient. His love is abounding. And I love what happens next with no fanfare, no lightning, no thunder, no rumblings. Jesus doesn't say, drum roll, please. He doesn't do any of that. He just, in his hands, becomes an all-you-can-eat buffet. And he begins to distribute from his hands this all-you-can-eat buffet. And he just keeps passing out bread and fish. And think about this. Let me blow your minds for a second. What Jesus was doing in that moment is he was creating bread and he was creating fish. Meaning, these were pieces of bread that did not come from grain. They never grew. These were fish that never swam and these fish were not snatched from the sea. He created them. I mean, this was not part of the disciples' mindset at all. I mean, they went, maybe Jesus can create some fish today and Give it out to people. That wasn't their thought at 
all. But here's the point for us today, brothers and sisters, difficulty that we face and difficulty that, that comes upon us must be measured by the one who's doing the work. Meaning this, in the spiritual realm and, and, and even in the church today and in our lives, is the work ours? If we view the work as ours, the work will fail in our feeble hands. Or is the work his? And if the work is his, hear this today, brothers and sisters, it will get done. If the work is his, it will get done. Nothing is too big for him. Nothing is too hard for him. Think about this. Philip's conclusion was about the shortfall was correct. We don't have enough money to provide for the people. That was correct. But Philip's conclusion was incorrect. Here's what Philip should have said when Jesus says, where are we going to get enough food? Philip should have just stepped back and said, Jesus, I don't know what's going on in your mind and in your heart right now, but I know you have a plan. Because you would have never brought it up if you didn't have a plan. So Jesus, do whatever right now is in your mind. Do what's in your heart and show forth your glory. That's what Philip should have said and that's what we should say. But we don't always do that, do we? We do just like Philip. We begin to look at what we don't have and what we can't bring to um, the, the table and what's not there. But let me say this. And please hear this. There is nothing that God has done for any Christian at any period um, of history that he is not able to do for us today. It might look different. It might be completely. So if you go to McDonald's today and all of a sudden you don't have money um, you know, to get yourself something, don't just sit here and look at your kids' fries and think that maybe they're going to come. But God might provide in a completely different way. Um, who knows how God might work, but God is able to do it even Today. Think about this. One boy's lunch. One boy's lunch became more than enough for everyone, even to have leftovers. And there's a lesson in the leftovers. Do you know that? There's a lesson in the leftovers. And here's the lesson. Hear this. Our God will not waste any experience in our lives. Anything. He will not waste one difficulty, one failure, one issue. Anything that we go through, God will not waste it. God will use it. God isn't wasteful. And then just, just think about the math here. Maybe they teach this math at Ocean Way Middle School, but they don't teach this math at many places, which is five loaves of bread and a few fish becomes enough to feed thousands and thousands and thousands. That's just not a picture that we think about. But yet think about this. This miracle, get this, where did it take place? You might say, well, it took place on a mountain. Or it took place um, among a crowd. No, this miracle took place in the hands of Jesus. That's where it took place, in his hands. He can do eternally amazing things through little fragments of our lives that we're carrying around and tend to think that he can't use. He can. This is his power and his authority. Real quick, let me give you um, two Old Testament comparisons to show you the power of, of Christ. Um, we see a connection, that, that, or we don't see a connection that the um, audience that was with Jesus would have seen. Their mind would have begun to look around and go, hang on a second, this is reminding us of something that has taken place. In fact, there are two Old Testament characters that they would have thought of immediately. The first would be Moses. I mean, think about this picture. Think about what they knew about Moses. 
the, the Gospels tell us that this event took place in a desolate place. They would have immediately thought about walking through the wilderness. There were mountains there. How many times do we see Moses, the people of God, and mountains? There were teachings and the law that was taking place. There was even divisions of people. Uh, immediately they would have thought of Moses and then Jesus providing bread. Later in, in John chapter 6, Jesus would even say, Moses gave you bread in the wilderness of God gave you through Moses bread in the wilderness, but I'm going to give you a different kind of bread. I'm going to give you the bread of life. So Jesus was showing that he's a better provider than Moses. That's what he was showing the people. I'm a better provider than Moses. And then this miracle would have made them think about Elisha. Turn your Bibles real quick to 2 Kings chapter 4. This is a miracle that we read, and I think most of the time we read this miracle, we don't think about this story in John 6, but we should. And think about this, just listen to the comparisons and to the parallels real quick as we read this. Just listen to this. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. When you get there, it says this, A man came from Bel Shalashah, bringing the man of God, that's Elisha, bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Just think about the parallels. So you have more people than bread, although you have 100 here, whereas you have 20, 15 to 25,000 with Jesus. You have... Um, a command to feed the crowd. You have a question of the command. How, how's that going to happen? How is that going to work? You have a miracle of provision. And then you have food left over. So Jesus in this picture is pointing the people back to Moses and back to Elijah to show them that he is a better provider than Moses and he's a better miracle worker than Elisha because he is the authoritative one. Think of it this way, just real quick. Every miracle, every um, thing that Moses and Elijah did in their ministry was done through the power of God. Everything that Jesus did in his ministry was done through his own power and his own authority because he is God. He is the authoritative one. He is the providing one. So grace is the grounds of compassion. Power is released for our provision. And then the third point, quickly, we're going to fly through this. Obedience is the path to multiplication. Obedience is the path to multiplication. So we often, we, we think in our minds, we think addition. God thinks multiplication. When you add God to the equation, hear this, when you add God to your equation, God's output is always more than your input. You put a little bit in and God is able to bring a whole lot out. This is just what he does. And let me read the story again from Matthew's Gospel. And you can just you can see it on the screen. This is from Matthew's Gospel. It says this, Then he, Jesus, broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And here's the point. We tend to look at what we have or what we don't have. Let me tell you this. Jesus never looks at our resources or our, our abilities. Instead, what Jesus does is Jesus looks at our willingness to obey and trust his resources and his ability. The miracle happened in the hands of Jesus, but don't miss this. It was distributed through the hands of the disciples. He gave it to them, and they gave it to the crowd. So in what 
whatever capacity the Lord calls you to serve him, understand this, you and I are utterly dependent upon his resources. Think about this. How in the world can you and I make a difference in anybody's lives? How in the world? We're just sinners saved by grace. How can we make a difference in anyone's life? And here's how. Understand your role. And let me tell you your role this morning. You and I have no power to put away sin. We have no power to impart grace. Our job is to receive from the master the bread of life and then give that bread to hungry people. That's our job. We receive from his hand the bread of life and we give it to others. And think about this. We can't make people value the bread. We can't make them take the bread. We can't make them even eat the bread. That's not our job. That's not our job. Our job is to faithfully take what Jesus gives us and to give it away to others. And pray and believe that he's going to do what only he can do in their lives. It's a beautiful picture. Think about this story. The problem was never the disciples. It seemed that way, but it was never theirs. It was always Jesus' problem. The power was never theirs. The plan certainly wasn't theirs. Yet Jesus took a very little that was placed in his hands. He multiplied it, gave it to the disciples, and they gave it to the crowd. The rest is history. But let me end this way. A little, just a little, when surrendered to Jesus, becomes a lot. Our insignificant little bit, when we give it to Jesus, becomes significant. I know what Satan does in this moment. So I believe in this moment, not only is the Holy Spirit working in this moment, Satan is here and he's working too. And maybe Satan right now is whispering in your ear saying, and pointing out all your insufficiencies in this moment. All the reasons why God can't use you, why God would never use you. And here's what I would say. Stop looking at your insignificance and start looking at his greatness. Get your eyes off yourself and start looking to the one who can do with very little what, could never, what we could never do with a lot. In fact, let me end this way. I want to end with a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. And I don't have time. I wish I had time to explain her story. I would just beg you, um, go home, Google her name, and just read her story. And, and just be left amazed by what God does. But listen to what she says. If the only thing you have to offer is a broken heart, you offer a broken heart. Realizing that nothing I have, nothing I am, will be refused on the part of Christ. Meaning if all you have is a broken heart, you, you offer it to Jesus and he will take it. He'll take it. I simply give it to him as a little boy gave Jesus his five loaves and two fish with the same feeling of the disciples when they said, what is the good of that for such a crowd? Naturally, in almost anything I offer to Christ, my reaction would be, what is the good of that? The point is, the use he makes of it is his blessing. Brothers and sisters, whatever you have, if it's a broken heart, you offer it to him. If, if it's failures and, and things that you are ashamed of, you offer it to him and he will forgive you and he will use you. He will. If it's you look at yourself and you don't have the talents, gifts, and abilities that other people have, you give him what you have and he will use you. Did you know that the, the whole mission of God, the whole plan of God was not to just use pastors to bring the gospel to the world? No, pastors take what the Lord gives, gives to people, and then the 
the plan of God was for those people to then take that word and give it to others. Who will give it to others. Who will give it to others. Who will give it to others. Therefore, God wants to use all of us for his glory. Let him, whatever it is that you have today, bring it to him. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. And we're going to call the musicians forward as we enter into a time of invitation and consecration. And let's just pray together. Father, we just approach you now in, in this moment, God. Lord, whatever it is that you would have us to, to, to know and to learn from this, this story and this study, God, I pray that you would do that now by your spirit, God. Just show us what it is that you would have us to do, how you would have us to obey, Father. Maybe it's God coming to you for the first time, trusting you as our Savior and Lord. Today would be the day of salvation. God, I pray that that would be the case. If any in here don't know you, God, Father, I pray for others today who find themselves standing back, looking at all of their insufficiencies, all of their brokenness, wondering, Jesus, could you really use them? Lord, show them today. Show them today, God. Show us today. Show me today what you can do with little. Even if it's a broken heart, God, help us to bring you our brokenness. And you will take the fragments of our broken heart, God, and you will multiply that. Do that today. Finish this time today. In Jesus' name, amen.